everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Quirks of Creation, the podcast about super weird science and ancient history. My name is Jess Holmes, and bringing us back today with a fun episode is the proton to my electron, the quirk to my quirk, Elise. Yay! So glad you're back. I'm so glad to be back finally. It feels like forever. And I really I missed you last week. <laughs> I really missed you last week. Abby did phenomenal. And I was like, Ugh. Abby did such an awesome job she filling in last up. week. Oh, she did. She, she came in clutch and I really appreciate her. And you guys had such a good episode. I just, I missed you. And I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> so glad to have you back. And I am so super excited about this episode because when you were telling me about the topic you picked, I was like, wait a minute. How? Why? Yeah. Yeah. It was funny because when I was thinking about doing this, I was like, eh, I'll just see if there's anything out there. And I'm like, oh, yep, there's there's quite a bit. So we all have stuff to talk about. That's for oh, sure. I'm so excited. Yay. So I'm excited. And before we jump into this week's episode, I do have a very important announcement. Today is Jess's birthday. So happy oh, birthday, oh, Thank you. I, I did not give her permission now. to do that. So. No, you did not have permission to do that. Oh, Sorry, well, surprise. <laughs> uh, well, um, don't forget to leave some love for Jess in the comments to wish her a very, very Aww. special birthday. Um, just love and appreciate you so much. So, anywho, Aww. stop being mushy. <laughs> Gotta make me tear up. Right? Aww, thank you. Yeah. But um, <laughs> tonight, so. Uh, yeah. Tonight we're talking about actually a very heavy story found in the Bible. Um, this story is a story of Sodom and Gomorrah and God's wrath against the wicked. Um, I'm going to start by recapping these stories and or this story and just give context to it so we can better understand the gravity of what's happening and a little history, a lot of history. <laughs> I'm here for it. Right. And we'll go from there. Let's so again, yeah. So again, to give context, we will start a little further back with Abraham and his nephew Lot. Actually, at this time he was still Abram, but that's okay. God said to him um, in Genesis, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. So Genesis 12, 1. And as we all know, he follows God's command and leaves and travels to find where God is sending him, which eventually becomes Canaan. Now, during this time, Abraham's nephew, Lot, has joined him. And between the two of them, they've accumulated a lot of wealth. Wealth is in livestock and tents and silver and gold. And there was fighting among their amongst their herdsmen. And Abraham's herdsmen are fighting with Lot's herdsmen. It's creating lots of tension. So Abraham basically says, hey, look, we're family. We're brothers. There's a lot of land here for the two of us. Let's not start fighting amongst ourselves. You go one way, I'll go the other. You go left, I'll go right. You go right, I'll go left. Just you pick. Let's like nip this in the bud. Let's not let this continue. And so Genesis 13, 10 through 12 says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. 
edit narrator, and he did not know that this was a grave mistake. Right. <laughs> Little did he know. <laughs> and there's a lot of argument that it was, you know, it was already bad, and he knew what he was getting into, um, but he chose to live there anyway. Yeah. And whatever, I guess. Each his own, but <laughs> it, it makes you wonder what was going through Lot's mind when he picked that as a place to be, because you know places have a reputation. Like, uh, you know, I, yeah. I live in Georgia. Everyone knows Atlanta has a reputation. So right. choosing to live in Atlanta is like, what are you going there for? What you doing there? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I live in Michigan, and everybody thinks that's Detroit. It's like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> right. Detroit really has a reputation. <laughs> Detroit has its own reputation. Exactly. So. Right. Yeah. So that was, I found that kind of an interesting little tidbit that I never really thought of before. But um, one thing I wanted to point out from the scripture here is that is the description of the Jordan Valley. Mm-hmm. So it says it's well watered and still is today, actually. And we'll get into that a little bit more later. It also says like the garden of the Lord. And this is a reference to Eden and the land of Egypt around the Nile. Yeah. So basically lots looking around and I always, I think I, I think the picture in my mind is this way because there's like a lot of artistic pictures like this. It's not original, but it's like Abraham and Lot are standing up on this hill or this cliff and they're looking out over all of it. And so he sees this like lush, fertile, fruitful region. And right. at the time it was gorgeous and would have been a great spot for his um, flock. And I think he just saw a really good opportunity. Right. There. I mean, that's a, a reason most people move into big cities is because they see it as a land of opportunity. So right. I, I kind of like that picture. It's you see it for, the, the beauty on the outside, not necessarily the sin that's buried underneath. Exactly. I'm like, I can deal with that. Right. Or can you? Or can you? <laughs> or can you? Um, and later I'm going to show you what this place looks like and looks like now. Mm-hmm. And what a stark contrast it is to like, it's this really short, but I think powerful description of the Jordan Valley, um, you know, comparable to Eden. So I would think the best of the best kind of, Right. place and now spoiler alert it doesn't look like that <laughs> not so much yeah <laughs> but anyway moving on with my short recap too late sorry abraham is visited by two angels and the lord is with them and he warns abraham that he's going to destroy sodom and gomorrah because of their wickedness abraham actually bargains with god saying but what if there are like 50 righteous people? You're not just going to kill all these people and include the 50 righteous people with them, right? Like you, you don't, you don't do that. You're not going to do that. Right. And God says, no, he's like, no, if I can find 50 righteous people, I won't throw them. I won't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, I think God already knew, like, I'm not going to find five, let alone 50. But well, And I like how Abraham whittles it down. He's like, how about 45? How about 40? How about, you know, and I'm just like, okay, Abraham, just go, go down to your lowest haggle. God gets it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny. Cause it's like, again, we always say this, like God's being cheeky, but it's like, you know, it's like, he yeah, doesn't. dude, I'll bargain this with you. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to win. <laughs> I know what right. I'm doing. There, there's nobody there worth their salt. Uh, 4,000 years later, it might be too soon. (laughs) I don't know. Dark humor is like food. Not everybody gets it. (laughs) Stole that from Abby, TM. That was a good one. TM. TM. Uh, But uh, so the two angels visit Sodom to try to find 10 righteous people, because that's what Abraham gets them down to, 10. And spare this place from God's destruction. Uh, Another spoiler alert. They don't. (laughs) Lot recognizes them at the city gates and invites them to stay the night at his house and Mm -hmm. insists rather strongly that they do so instead of staying in the city center where they were going to stay. Right. Um, While they're there having dinner with Lot and his family, there are men from all over the town that come to Lot's house demanding that he let them in so they can have sex with the visitors he has in his house. Yikes. So, yeah, if that's not already telling you kind of how depraved and wicked this place is. Yeah. Um, they also threaten that if he doesn't, they'll do worse to him. And Lot tries to bargain with them, and he even offers up his own virgin daughters to the men. So they'll leave the angels alone. That is so crazy to me, just like in that moment, that he's willing to offer up his own daughters. Yes. So that the people of the city wouldn't take the angels. And that just tells you yeah. what they were probably doing with fallen angels. Right. Yikes. Right. And so, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Cause that's such a good segue. So I was speculating cause a lot of what I read suggests that lot wasn't a good person either. Like, right. um, and I don't, I don't really know. I'm not really making that case. Right. That's not what this is about, but if the thing is, if you have angels of the Lord in your house and you don't want God to be angry with you, I guess you're kind of like debating. Yeah. Like here, have my daughters. Just, I just don't want God angry with me. Like (laughs) I'm not justifying it by any means. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, and Um, maybe he's trying to save those people from a a really greater sin, uh, right. Of, defiling something that's holy yes right which i don't know might be one of those unforgivable sins exactly yes and i didn't even think about that so that's such a good point (laughs) he's like i'm helping you (laughs) right let me help you uh base babe makes a good point on rumble you can't make nephilim through sodomy so yikes (laughs) there you go there you go good point (laughs) um and then also I was questioning, like, does it show show a lack of faith with Lot that these angels Mm. who are representing God can't protect themselves? Like, they don't have God's protection over them. They need him to do it. I don't know. I'd probably panic. I don't know what I would do. Well, and Rena Robb in the chat brings up, why couldn't the angels defend themselves? Why did they need Lot to defend them? Exactly. And maybe they could. Maybe Lot was afraid that the angels were going to kill everybody right there. Right. Exactly. Well, and they do end up protecting themselves. So they cause all the men there to go blind so they can't find the door. Right. And they're like, 
screw this, we're out of here. <laughs> right. <laughs> they then tell Lot to grab his family and get out. And Lot does try to grab his sons, like his daughters, of course, and his wife are already there with him. But he tries to grab his sons-in-law and they, they laugh because they think he's joking. So he's like, well, <laughs> I tried. Um, so the angels take Lot and his family out of the city, tell them not to look back and run for the mountains, get out of the plains. Um, Lot runs to the small town of Zoar after bargaining with the angels. Lots of bargaining here, which is pretty gutsy, if you ask me. <laughs> like Abraham and then Lot. Right. And like, I, I, I was about to say, he, he might come by it naturally. <laughs> right. It's a family trade. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Humans are always bargaining with God, so it, but, it'd probably yes. be easier to bargain with angels. Yes, exactly. It's like, I was kind of like, pfft gutsy but then at the same time it's like people bargain with god all the time are you <laughs> nothing new um, so when they're running um unfortunately his wife does look back and turns into a pillar of salt womp, and womp. um something to keep in mind too is that lot was an old man at this time so when the angels told him to run for the mountains he's like i don't think i'm gonna make it <laughs> just with this little walker going, I'm going, man. I'm going. There's a little town. Can I just go there? And actually, this comes into play later. Um, this running to Zoar. I'll talk about more. I'll talk about it more later. But just remember, you know, him running to this town. Okay. And they spare it for him. And um, it's kind of cool how it plays into all the destruction that happens. So Okay. So now for the epic moment that's always really short in the Bible. <laughs> Genesis 19, 24 through 25. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. So not only am I going to literally destroy everybody, but... You can't even come back here and raise this place right. up again. I'm going to literally salt the earth and ruin <laughs> the soil so nothing will grow here ever. Yes, exactly. You're done. It's done. Move on. I'm over with. I'm over it. I'm right. over it. <laughs> uh, but um, always telling these stories makes me thirsty. And you know what goes down smoother than raining balls of fire? <laughs> North Arrow Coffee. North Arrow Coffee. What a transition. I mean. Uh, I was giggling so hard when I wrote it because I think I'm so funny, but <laughs> I'm, so not, I'm not. <laughs> we are proud to sponsor North Arrow Coffee, and it is truly delicious roast-to-order coffee. And the best part is, you know, not only is it phenomenal, but 15% of all proceeds go to pro-life organizations, and that, my friends is something to raise your mug to. Cheers. Cheers. So go check out North Arrow Coffee at northarrowcoffee.co. Order yourself some delicious beans and use code HawkHound to get 10% off of your order. I love it. Good. <laughs> Rob Noxious did not see that coming. Probably. Oh. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> You're welcome. I don't know if it's like good to... Uh, <laughs> Compare <laughs> coffee with raining fire from heaven, but it's still it's smooth and delicious. Huh? Yeah. 
So there we go. There we go. Definitely didn't grow out of salted earth. No, no. <laughs> uh, so not such a smooth transition, but but if God rained down fire and brimstone, totally wiping this place out, leaving no one left but Lot and his daughters, what could possibly be found there today? Now, is there right. anything left after so much destruction and about 4,000 years later? Surprisingly, yes. Do we even know where it is, like geographically? Yes. And I'm definitely going to show you. So what's funny, and I was going to talk about this in a bit, but I'll say it now, is there was um, um, an archaeologist who found it in 1924. Oh, wow. And it was pretty much a, like overall accepted that this spot that he found was where Sodom and Gomorrah were. And uh, it's it's not until recently that they've really started to debate this or try and mm. say that it's other places. Um, but if you look at the biblical text, which we'll get into, and how it describes, and that's exactly how this archaeologist found it in the first place, was he was just going off of the biblical text, like, well, it can't be here and it can't be here, right. so it has to be here kind of a thing. Right. So, um yeah, I'll get into that debate a little bit more, but it's it's interesting that it was accepted for a really long time for really good reasons, and now people are like, mm, no. And mostly, it's also been widely accepted by secular scholars, too. So unlike two weeks ago when I was talking about the flood and how it was just like, you don't touch that. Like, you want right. to be mine for the rest of your career? You don't touch that. But with this one, it's more like um, it was. It's been widely accepted for so long, and I'm not quite sure what, hmm. why. Except I think it's more to prove that the Bible doesn't have any historical context to it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you can't take that at face value or whatever. Right. Anyway. Maybe yeah. they would say that Sodom and Gomorrah did exist, but it wasn't burned up in fire from heaven. It just burned up because reasons. X. Yes. Yes. So it's more like the people of that time, it happened and it was a natural disaster, but it wasn't God or that they were wicked. Right. It, that's just the myth that came because of hmm. um, some weird natural phenomenon that happened here. So you decide. We'll get into yeah. it. <laughs> Uh, um, but actually, before I start jumping into everything, we're actually going to move over just to Rumble and Odyssey. So before we get into it, we'll head on over there. And like we always say, don't work for woke companies that hate you and your values. So we won't. Nope. And that's why we're taking our show over to Rumble and Odyssey. Audio listeners will still get the majority of this episode, but our goal at Hawkound is to make sure that we aren't making little compromises to grow our podcast. So here's your little teaser, and you can come join us over on Rumble and Odyssey where we can speak more freely. So we will see you all there. Peace out, guys. Bye. Now to get into the good stuff. Now we get into the good stuff. Yeah, I didn't 
want to, that was a little shorter than we normally do for YouTube, mm -hmm. but everything else I'm going to jump into kind of, it can go, there's so much, there was no mm -hmm. good way to like, right. Cut off. <laughs> we want to save all the good stuff for rumble. Yeah. And this stuff's for you guys over here. So that's right. They get, they get what they get. <laughs> Facts. Yeah. Uh, but anywho, so like I was saying, with uh, archaeological finds and geological finds, there's just there's so much more here than you would expect. Wit and I had said this earlier, but when the idea first came to me, I kind of just half-heartedly looked into it, and I'm just pleasantly surprised to have all this to bring to you. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Um, so I will jump into where they believed they found Sodom and Gomorrah. So this map that I'm going to share with you, maybe. Ooh. Yeah. So this map shows the Dead Sea and Canaan during the time of the old, you know, during the Old Testament. And going back to the time of Abraham again, there were five major cities, the, and they were called the cities of the plains. So you have Sodom and Gomorrah, Zeboim and Adma, and Zoar. Okay. So again, Zoar is the little one where he ran off to. And um, what's interesting is this down here, Site 21, okay. hard to see, I'm sure, but that's where it's believed Sodom and Gomorrah were and has been believed for a very long time. Mm. And... Um, Let's see. The it's not very on this map. The Dead sea. Hmm? Very close to the Dead Sea. Yes, exactly. And that's a huge, huge part of this. Mm. Um, up here, north of this, more not that far, but north of that is where um, like Zeboim and Adma would be, and then Zoar mm -hmm. was like in the middle. So okay. Mm hmm. Um. So again, it's debated now on where these are located and what would be Sodom and Gomorrah or, you know, are they just one of the five cities? Is this one Sodom? Is this Gomorrah? Who knows? But right. um, you know, how could we know? And I'm right. glad you asked. So. <laughs> so I do believe that what was found in 1924 is Sodom and Gomorrah and is still um, relevant Today, So it's located on the southeast side of the Dead Sea, and it is now Jordan. And going off the Bible's description, there are two major points I want to share with you. So the five cities of the plains had five kings in Genesis 14 going into battle to defend their cities in the Valley of Sidim, which is a reference to the Dead Sea. Right. So it's not unreasonable to expect that these cities of the plains are near the Dead Sea. And then the second major scripture here is in Genesis ten nineteen, and it's laying out the boundaries of Canaan, and it gives us three points. So you're going west along the Mediterranean coast, and then from, actually, I'm going to pull this map up one more time because, so what you have is, you know, the Mediterranean over here on the west, further north, if I can find it, way up here, sorry. Sedan, when and it says um, Sedan in the north, and then all the way down to Gaza, and then <clears throat> excuse me, and then it says you turn towards the direction of Sodom and the rest of the cities of the plains. 
the only way to go from here is east. You know, if you go west, you're going to hit the <laughs> hit the sea. North, we know what's north, and now they, we know what's south. So by deduction. <laughs> right. You're going east. Right. Okay, but that still leaves, like, a really vast area. Is it mm-hmm. the west side, the east side, north, south? Like I said, believe it's the southeast side of the Dead Sea, and um, it was widely accepted, but I want to get into the archaeologist who discovered it really quickly. Um, he... So he was a genius. His name was William Foxwell Albright. I don't, have you ever heard of him? I haven't. And I just want to point out real quick that everybody in the chat is being super generous today. We just Woo-hoo! got a $20 rumble rant from wartime propaganda that says happy birthday. And we got a hyper chat on Odyssey that says happy birthday. You guys are awesome. Honestly, you guys are the best. So Yay. thank you so much. I'm Thanks, feeling everybody. so loved right now. Yay, you should. Happy birthday. Aww, thank you. Yay. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No. I have oh, not no. heard of this archaeologist before. I'm very <laughs> excited to hear about what he has done. He's pretty cool. And I, um, he's considered the grandfather of biblical archaeology. So Ooh. I'm not saying he's a genius out of any personal opinion. He is, was highly praised for his work to corroborate biblical art accuracy and his scientific work in archaeological excavation. And he, for example, used, like, instead of carbon dating, he would date places based on the pottery. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to talk more about him and kind of, he has touched like every area of biblical archaeology and it's just amazing. He was also the one, um, he was like the premier scholar to confirm the authenticity of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Which I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, It just like one of many contributions he's had in this area. Right. But yeah, he was the first one to find Sodom and Gomorrah and found it in 1924. Unfortunately, it wasn't excavated until the 60s and 70s. And that was started by one of his students named Paul Lapp. Mm -hmm. Um, So even though he found the area, it's still a vast nothing in the middle of nowhere with nothing around it. And his student kind of stumbled upon it by following grave robbers, essentially. And yeah, go figure. Yeah. And that's how they um, had a more, found a more direct area to start digging. Okay. Um, another like important part about this, like West side versus East side and North and South. So this, area that he found it only receives two inches of rainfall every year so it's very dry and desert like Mm -hmm. which what a surprise right (laughs) but the plateaus and the high mountains of jordan receive a really good amount of rain that drains down into this area Mm. down into the dead sea and would have made this basically washing all of that sediment and salt into the dead sea yep yep exactly and it just um you know, before everything was, before the earth was salted and totally right. destroyed. It would have made it a lush and verdant plain as described in the Bible. Mm. And um, also 
the mixture of like the water and the heat from the desert, just what a beautiful combination for agriculture in that area. Yeah. Um, And another reason East versus West and the South side is um, on the West side of the Dead Sea, there's no archaeological sites that have been found over there. Oh, wow. Like at all. (laughs) So while the West side also technically fits the biblical description, there's nothing to be found to dig up or examine, or at least not from this time period, which is the early bronze age. And that has to do with water too. So on the West side, you have the Negev desert and instead of mountains bringing down the rain, Um, there's, it it is, and always has been just desert and no water. Mm. So there wouldn't really have been any advantage to being over there. Like there is on the east. Um, but still it's not an exact location. And these digs in the sixties and seventies were mostly the cemeteries. Um, you know, people who died before the city was destroyed and there were still people around to bury them. Right. <laughs> Cause nobody's going to bear Who's left to bury all of Sodom and Gomorrah. Exactly. And like I said, lot was old. I don't think he was right. there. <laughs> no. Or if that even cared, but um, again, too soon, maybe, I don't know. so we don't have longitude and latitude or anything helpful like that from the bible but archaeologists still have other very specific things to look for in these areas and i find this so interesting because i never would have thought of this um you know i'm not an archaeologist but typically when you have a dig site you have one layer of the city that was either destroyed or become becomes ruins or whatever. And then another city is built on top of that because that city was there for a reason and there's still good resources or whatever. Um, And then that either is destroyed or becomes ruins and another is built on top of that and so on and so forth. And you would just have multiple layers or multiple tells over thousands of years showing each city that was there. Right. With... Sodom and Gomorrah, since we're going off the biblical story, they're looking for a destruction layer with nothing built on top of it Mm. because they were burned and uninhabitable after this. And Deuteronomy, wow, words are hard sometimes. Words are hard. (laughs) Deuteronomy. (laughs) Deuteronomy. (laughs) Now it's just a funny word. Right. The one nobody reads because it's like dry. (laughs) Exactly. You know, that one that's there and you're like, yeah. (laughs) Um, Chapter 29, verse 23 says, the whole land burned out with brimstone and salt, nothing sown and nothing grown where no plant can sprout and overthrow like that of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and wrath. Mm. So something I didn't realize until I really dug into this is it's not just Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Four out of the five cities of the plains were completely destroyed. I don't know how I missed that. And that's probably because, like we were just saying, Deuteronomy is one of those ones. Our <laughs> eyes kind of glaze over. We're like, okay, let's get through some of this. But it has something really important there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Because, you know, I... I know, you know, you, you hear the stories and you hear the Bible stories as a kid and then you grow up and you read them for yourselves. And yeah, you kind of sleep when you're reading Deuteronomy and then, <laughs> but, it, but I didn't, but again, this is, didn't what you missed. this is what we missed. Exactly. There's right. still so much good stuff in there, I swear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it's not just one city, it's multiple cities that Amazing. were completely destroyed by fire with absolutely nothing <laughs> built over top of it after all. All these years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so we have four out of the five cities destroyed, and Zoar was saved because this is where Lot ran with his wife originally and daughters before she was turned into salt. And another thing is that the supposed sites of Sodom and Gomorrah and the south of Zoar and Zeboim and Adma are the north. So Zoar is right in the middle of these destroyed cities. And it was fine. So, and that kind of comes. Yeah. And it kind of comes into play later. Cause I mean, even if you think about it, just fire raining down from heaven, you know, it's very direct. Yes. (laughs) And this way and this way and leaving them alone. Mm -hmm. And that again, kind of comes into play when you're looking at some of the theories as to how this happened and how to explain what is left there. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, yeah. So how were these cities destroyed and little tangent, but what always astounds me is how God uses nature, uses his own creation. Right. um, To create these disasters. You know, for example, when you look at Jericho, there are theories that the vibration from the marching and shouting and the horn blasting caused the mortar to break and the walls to tumble. Have you heard that theory? I have. Yeah. I don't know how much validity. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I don't know how much validity there is to it, but it's a theory I've heard and um, find fascinating. Uh, And then there's the theory that Moses parted the Red Sea because of a strong Eastern wind, which I've, I've never heard that one. (laughs) How, how strong does a wind have to be to part it per- and like it was parted. It's not like it was just blown to one side. And like, okay. I know that one's even more of a stretch for me. Right. But it's, I was, I kind of read that one um, offhand when I was doing this research and I was like, that's, that's something I've never heard and we'll consider <laughs> later, but well, it seems a stretch, but right. And then, you know, we talked about the flood and how it wasn't only caused by heavy rains, but the earth opening beneath and the water flooding in from below and kind of throughout the ringwoodite layer as one of the many possible options. But my point is, I just find it fascinating. He could just do whatever he wants, but you can find evidence of him using his own creation to do what needs to be done. Like he's like, he created these rules and he works within them, if you will. Mm-hmm. If, does that make sense? Like, yeah, that's the thing I think people miss about like miracles yeah. is God created everything. So everything is a miracle. The fact that you wake up the next day is a miracle. The fact that you're breathing in and out is a miracle. So for us to like say nature's not miraculous is to dismiss how complex and amazing it is. I'm so narrow-minded and short-sighted. 
to not see all the beauty that this is and how beautifully he's put this all together. Right. So it's like, yes, he can do anything he wants to. But the fact that he's using his own laws and rules, like, it's like he knew what he was doing. (laughs) He made the game. Why isn't he going to play by the rules, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, again, a little tangent there. But we don't need these things to be true because we still believe that God did these things. Um, Evidence isn't needed for our faith, but it can strengthen it or at least bolster our confidence. Just something to consider. (laughs) So moving into some of the theories that we have, uh, I'm going to start with kind of what I think are um, really crazier, but less likely in my opinion, (laughs) in my opinion. (laughs) So the one theory is that it was an air blast from a meteorite. Hmm. Have you heard of that ever happening? Like air blasts from meteorites? An air blast from one? No. Yeah. Me neither. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, There are actually two modern examples of this happening in their Chelyabinsk. Yeah. Chelyabinsk meteor in 2013. Do you remember that one? Because I briefly, like, remember like, a meteor in Russia. I was so deep in college at that point. Like I didn't know what reality was. I just knew <laughs> chemistry textbooks. So there was no real life outside. Right. Of yeah. <laughs> I remember those days. Uh, go outside and you're like, Oh my gosh, sunshine. There's just these four years. I don't remember because it's like I was in college. So it's like, well, Mm-hmm. I'm just surviving right now, people. Yep. I've got my ramen noodles and my textbooks, and that's it. That's it. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when this was, when I read about this, I was, again, I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember there was a big meteor over Russia, but that was, I was like, eh, that's it. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to pull up actually an article from planetary.org because I think they just describe the events very succinctly. I love it. So let's pull this up and read together. (laughs) Maybe. Group reading. Group reading. Y'all didn't know you were joining a book club. (laughs) Just kidding. It's pretty short. So what was the Chelyabinsk meteor event? On February 15, 2013 at 9.20 a.m. local time, residents of the city of Chelyabinsk, Russia, witnessed something few humans ever have an asteroid exploding in the atmosphere. The event was well documented almost by accident. (laughs) Dashboard cameras in the cars were very popular in Russia at the time, and many of these cameras captured video recordings of the meteor, this streak of light across the sky, Mm -hmm. and the great flash that came when the asteroid exploded. So the asteroid is responsible for the event. The asteroid responsible for the event was about 20 meters or 66 feet in diameter, and entered the atmosphere at a relatively shallow angle with a speed relative to Earth of about 19 kilometers per second. Wow. Which is 42,690 miles per hour. And again, like one of those big numbers that just flies over my head, like I can't even imagine that speed. So I won't. It's fast. (laughs) Yep. Super fast. Super fast. 
When it hits the Earth's atmosphere, it began to burn up and then exploded about 30 kilometers or less than 19 miles above the surface. The explosion created a flash that was briefly brighter than the sun and a shockwave that is estimated to have released the same amount of energy as 500 kilotons of TNT, around 30 times more energy than the atomic bomb detonated at Hiroshima. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. Holy cow. Uh, luckily, the explosion happened high enough off the ground that its energy was mostly absorbed in the atmosphere. If it had happened lower or if the asteroid had hit the ground intact, the damage could have been unlike anything in human history. Wow. <clears throat> Which that's mind-blowing all in itself. Um, the explosion wasn't without consequences, though. It created a shock wave that traveled through the atmosphere and reached the ground, damaging 7,200 buildings across six cities and sending 1,500 people to local hospitals and clinics with injuries. Most oh of the injuries God. were caused by curiosity. So people saw the bright flash and went to their right. windows outside. I know. I was like, yeah, who, who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> and, and that uh, meteor is flying so fast, it's breaking the sound barrier. So, of course, it's going to shatter all the glass and yep. all these homes. Yep. And it, wow. so they saw it before the imp, yep. you know. The, yep. Well, yeah, because light moves faster than sound. Exactly. Yeah. So... The shockwave, traveling at a slower speed, arrived later and shattered the windows, injuring people with flying glass. Um, the article basically just goes on to say that, you know, what do we do? How do we protect ourselves from from this? But That's one of those, like, it's an act of God. How do you can't protect yourself? No kidding. No kidding. And the reason they didn't know this one was coming was it was coming from the sun. And so the glare off the sun, I guess, oh. was like we didn't know it was happening until it was here. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I was going to say, because this was 2013, right? Yeah. So you would think we would have noticed something, but not. Yeah. It just shows up. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Just, Dang. Hey, I'm here. And yeah, I do find it funny that, uh, <laughs> uh, dash cams were popular at that time. So, right. Yeah. And though I do have a little video of it. I won't show yes, the whole I was gonna thing. Ask. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just crazy. So um, it does, it does share the um, sound of the shockwave. So mm. it's a little loud, but let's do it. Warning. Here we go. No music, just right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, so, and that's basically all the video is, as you can just see the asteroid coming is so bright. So anybody listening, you know, you see this huge, it looks like a big ball of fire. It really does. And it, it, they said, you know, it gets brighter than the sun and it does like the 
It's just crazy to me how bright it gets as it passes by these trucks that are driving. And then you hear the, um, this, this, the shock wave, you hear it hit. And there's one, um, part of the video where you see people who are by the window just get blasted back in this office. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. So, um, I like what bookstore Thor says over on rumble Russian dash cams are practically their own genre of film. I mean, that was pretty good. That's a good one. <laughs> we have all the entertainment we need right there. Goodness gracious. Great balls of fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if I was thinking, man, I'd that, have was, had that, that was good. That was good. Freda. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I did too. That was quick. I like it. Um, but and so with this, that was one, and then there was another one. There's something similar that happened in 1908. So this was again in Russia. The poor Russians. That was near the Tungs- Tunguska River. I had that practice too, man. Dang it! Oh well. <laughs> but that's a hard one to say, right? The, the Tunguska or Tunguska. Tunguska? I don't know. You're, I, I, um, I don't know. I think that's how they said it. Oh. Okay. <laughs> but, sorry, moving on. Uh, there was a fiery explosion in the sky and 600 miles away from ground zero where the impact was, there was seismic activity reading up to the fifth level on the Richter scale. Um, and it was also reported that they could hear loud bangs, which you could hear in that video too, and see columns of smoke as far away as 300 miles. The thing with this is it kind of hit in the middle of nowhere, Russia. So I don't, I, they knew it happened, but they didn't find it for like 20 years after. Wow. Yeah. Um, That's crazy. I know. I know. They're like, yeah, we kind of knew where to look, but it's so, it was, um, it's just one of those areas of Russia that's not really inhabited. So it was really hard to find it, but they did. Right. And I'm going to show this picture as well. So these are like trees that are around the site. Yeah. And they're all just, you know, as you can see, I don't know how you describe that, but they're all bent away from where the impact was. So again, just devastating, huge, crazy, all this stuff. Um, Yeah. And it's like, okay, cool. But I'm sure you're all wondering what this has to do with the cities of the plains. Another good question. So (laughs) according to the Smithsonian Magazine, experts, when you're looking at Sodom and Gomorrah, because they're saying that this is what happened there. Right. Um, So experts failed to find a crater at the site of Sodom and Gomorrah. They attributed the damage to an air burst created when a meteor or comet traveled through the atmosphere at high speed. It would have exploded about two and a half miles above the city. So, yeah. Yeah. So, the one in Russia, again, it was 19 miles above in 2013. 19 miles above. They're saying that for this to be the case Mm -hmm. and to have destroyed the cities... It would have exploded about two and a half miles above the city in a blast mm. 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb. Whoa. Yeah. 
which is crazy. And so with that, air temperatures rapidly rose above 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, clothing and wood immediately burst into flame, swords, spears, mud bricks, and pottery just begins to melt. I mean, almost entirely, or almost immediately, the entire city was on fire. Dang. Yeah. So that in itself is a crazy theory, just right. crazy in that. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> Um, but I do struggle with this theory for several reasons. Um, it's certainly not improbable. The fact that, like in 1908, they could see the smoke so far away corrobor- corroborates with Genesis when it says, um, Abraham looked out at Sodom and Gomorrah and saw the smoke like a funeral fire just rising. Right. Um, so... The smoke, but the, but they never found the impact site or a crater. And as far as I can find in my research, they haven't found pieces of a meteorite either. Okay. So, like, that's never been discussed. Mm-hmm. And I would, I don't know a whole lot about that part of it and didn't have a whole lot of time to jump down that rabbit hole. <laughs> There's so many rabbit holes. There's so many. <laughs> Which is awesome, and I love it. But right. I was like, okay, I have to <laughs> narrow it down. We have to narrow it down. But from what I did read and what I could find, I don't think they've ever found pieces of that. And you would think, or am I crazy to think that that would be all over the place? You would think um, you'd at least be able to find it in the sediment layers. Like you would find... Or at least when you do like chemical analysis, you would find some sort of indication that something had come from space because we know the chemical composition of lots of meteors. Like we can tell the difference between like meteor rock and natural earth rock, things like that. So someone who's curious enough would want to look into it. Would want to look into it. Exactly. So it explains some things, but not everything. Right. I still think it's a little bit, of a stretch. And also if we believe that Zoar was in the middle of these cities and it wasn't impacted. Right. That just doesn't really add up either. Cause I don't right. think it's going to like jump. <laughs> yeah. You, there's no way you can have, okay. Destruction blast here. <laughs> destruction blast here. Safe zone. Unless it's like totally separate meteors that are falling at the same time. Right. That would be an amazing coincidence because the yeah. whole point of having the gas giants is to protect us from meteors like that. Exactly. Exactly. And <laughs> yeah, that to me also would be like, well, it was divinely guided. So it's, right. it's still not, again, not, an, not improbable, but just, I think this one's more of a stretch. Um, just leaves us with more questions. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, it doesn't explain one other thing either. So no crater has been found, but what has been found and what I think is the best, I saved it for the last, are the balls of brimstone or balls of sulfur that have been found in the areas of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, oh my gosh. And all the plains, but 
I'm going to, so this video I'm going to bring up is Joel Kramer, and he is an archaeologist that lives in um, Jordan, and he's been there for about 15 years. He's been to these sites, again, for years, been studying this for years. He, in this video, when he's talking, he starts out at an archaeology museum in Jordan where they have the balls of sulfur on display, and um, from there, he, you know, he talks about it breaks it down, shows us kind of what these can do. So I'm going to get us going with that. Caused these cities in this area to be burned in the ancient past. Now, when I first saw this display, I got really excited and I went and scoured the archeological sites searching for sulfur balls and I couldn't find any anywhere. Um, and so one day I was uh, guiding a well-known geologist through this area, and I brought him here to this museum. I showed him this display, told him my dilemma, and he said, oh, well, these would not be preserved on land. They would only be preserved in water. And so he encouraged me to go look for them uh, in the areas that were. Sorry, I am gonna pause really quickly yeah. because I do wanna point out in this video, you can see the desert, you can see what's not oh, yeah. growing but then if you look further over here, you can see what is growing. So there's, you can see the juxtaposition and you can see the potential that this area could have had, would have had before all of this. So right. again, little tangent. I like how there's just this little, it's like an oasis in the middle of a desert. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I like it, but I'll let him keep going. Here we go. Okay. We're once under the Dead Sea, and so I went down near the shore of the Dead Sea and looked in these areas where the Dead Sea waters have receded, and this is when I started finding sulfur balls. So, I'm going to get past this ad real quick. <laughs> Gotta love ads. I gotta love the ads for sure. Um, that is so fascinating that sulfur is being found in this area. Yeah, yeah, and it's so unique. But I'll get into more about that why. But um, I'm gonna get to where he finds them. But he basically, you know, the geologist was like, "Well, they would have hit." the earth and would have just uh, made everything turn catch on fire so the only place you're going to find any remnants of this would be where they came into the dead sea when it was the dead sea levels were higher and so they right. were extinguished and then preserved and now that the dead seas uh, sea levels are lower or the level of water is lower i'll show you how many he finds in a minute when i share it again <laughs> Did Yay, technology. Did you want to see this? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're such a tease, Elise. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay, here we go for real. All right. All for balls. Here. 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 Look at all of them. There. Sulfur ball. Sulfur ball everywhere and they are they're just everywhere so as he's walking through this dry area he's 
can't go more than, you know, two inches without finding another one. For anybody listening, so right now he's just gathering. I mean, he's staying in one spot and just gathering. He's white all the sulfur that inside. So where are these sulfur balls coming from? They're coming from this geological formation. You can see sulfur balls, what is called in situ, in place. They're, they're placed uh, right here in this particular layer. So if I... And so he's just gathering more, but then right. he lights them on fire. And that's what, Ooh. that's the other part I want to show you. Yes. Yeah. Sulfur balls, just to show you how flammable they are. Uh, I got to be careful because man, when you get a whiff of these things, sulfur really stinks. Nasty. Sulfur stinks so bad. Okay, so this is one of the reasons why sulfur balls would only be preserved in water because right. if they strike the land, then they're gonna burn up. You can see the goo, it's just melting down to goo and then dripping off. So really uh, anywhere that they would have landed on land, they would have burned up like this and they would have burned anything flammable wow. around them. This is how the cities and the plain were burned. However, um, if they would have hit the water of the Dead Sea, that would have extinguished them, and therefore they wouldn't have burned up, and uh, they would have sank down to the bottom uh, of the floor of the Dead Sea and been preserved in a geological layer. Oh my God! It just melts like it's like a big goo. Yeah, sulfur is gross when you burn it. So, wow. Yeah, just so crazy. There's so much. I just love this part of it. Like this, this, I don't know, gives me tingles, goosebumps, because it's just a very, I think, very tangible evidence of what happened. And I'll explain more of that. So, you know, you. I first want to talk about how he sees them all over the place when he goes to that area. And my point in that is like, could you imagine all of these falling from the sky? Oh my gosh. Like 4,000 years later, and there's still so many that can be found and just easily picked up or, you know, brought out right. of the rock or whatever. But if there are that many now to be found again, can you just imagine all of that raining down. That just goes to show you how big the Dead Sea used to be. Yes, that too. Absolutely. Wow. Um, so, yeah. Um, man, lost my train of thought. I'll come back to it. I'll come back. So, <laughs> there's even more that is crazy about these. And have you, I'm sure you have, you've seen sulfur deposits so there are deposits of sulfur similar to this left behind after a volcano. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just for the record, there's been no volcanic activity recorded in this area. Just saying. <laughs> and furthermore, these balls of sulfur are unique to the to this region only. I don't think they've been found anywhere else. And of course they haven't. Of course not. Like they really are legitimately only right here. <laughs> and the difference between these um, balls of sulfur and those that would be found like after a volcano or around a volcano, the ones found around a volcano are 40 ish percent sulfur. Mm-hmm. These are 98% sulfur. Wow. They're almost entirely sulfur. Oh my gosh. And again, there's just not found anywhere else. So you can see the difference maybe in these right here. So you have wow, white sulfur found at Gamora and then the naturally right. occurring sulfur from a geothermal region. Right. This is not a geothermal region that doesn't happen here. Right. Yellow, um, naturally occurring sulfur, and then this white. So just there's stark contrast. And again, 40 to, I think it was like 40 to 48% sulfur. And then this white sulfur that's right. almost completely pure. That's the good stuff. That's the, that's the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. There's also videos of people who like picked it up held it too long or, you know, burned themselves on these. <laughs> right. I, I was surprised he was picking them up with his bare hands. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would have, like, I would not touch that. Uh, no. <laughs> so again, they can't find any evidence of, Oh, what I couldn't find. I wanted to mention that too, is like, I thought, okay, with the meteorite or the asteroid, could these balls of sulfur be remnants of that? I couldn't find anything while I was researching that would that even touch that, to be honest. <laughs> right. And do, does that even make sense? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, again, I couldn't even find anybody to to even touch that, which is also what's interesting to me about the theory of the air blast and the meteorites or the whatever was, they just kind of completely ignored this. <laughs> like, right. No. I ain't touching that. <laughs> but to take it further, so um, the Joel Kramer, who was just in the um, video, he was saying that he was talking to a friend who was a geologist and he was explaining that it could have possibly been an earthquake that had done this. Mm. So this lies along a major fault line in the Rift Valley, like the lowest place on earth. Um, What would have happened is there was an earthquake, which caused these major gases to come up from the ground and cause the area to explode. And also would explain the sulfur that's found in that area. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I don't know if that's a stretch. If that's a, but it feels like a stretch. Um, Sir Edward over on Rumble brings up a good point. Like, is it like a hailstorm except a firestorm? So instead of chunks of ice, you have chunks of burning sulfur right. falling out of the sky. Yes. Guys, that's not a natural phenomenon. 
<laughs> that doesn't happen. Right. Right. Doesn't, doesn't happen. So, and that's how I've always imagined it though. Like when I've read right. the story, when I think about it is imagine, I like that and a lot hailstorm, but you know, fire instead of ice. Right. Firestorm. And there's no escaping it. So nope. Dun, dun, dun. Um, that's kind of it for theories. And again, it's um, really interesting. So they've also found in this area, I do want to mention there's bones just strewn about because again, everybody's gone. Like this whole destruction layer, there's nothing like nobody picked up afterwards. You know what I mean? There was nobody left to pick up. And like, so you have burn pottery, you have bones everywhere. You have um, just this, just what he calls a destruction layer. And you can see the ash when you're walking through this area, mm-hmm. you take steps and it just, ash just kicks up. Even 4,000 years later. Even 4,000 years later. And again, all this time and still no one has moved into this area, really touched this area. Wow. Even now it's completely desolate. Like people don't go there to visit. Right. (laughs) Like the only people who've really been there are these archaeologists who are exploring it. But it's not like, it's not a place people go to. Like when you go on a tour of the, where Jesus walked or um, things like that. It's not even a part of it. People just don't go there. And it's just so desolate. And crazy. I just find it so crazy that it's untouched. It seems like only barely touched by archaeology. Like it feels like yeah. there could be so much more we learn there, but maybe the land just feels so, I don't know, evil. Wrong. After, yeah. yeah, wrong. Because, then, I mean, it's a place God burned up and salted yeah. because it was so evil when it was in its heyday. Right. I don't know. I know. I know. And I couldn't really find a good answer for that either, unfortunately. And that bums me out. I mean, you have this one guy who lives there, like I said, and he's been going to these places and these sites and digging and finding things. But at the same time, it doesn't seem like it's been a huge priority for anybody. Right. Uh, (laughs) Freda over on Rumble mentions, didn't God say it would stay desolate? I mean... Yes. Yes, he did. And not just like in Genesis, but it's the prophets say it. Right. The God and his disciples, or God, yes. <laughs> Jesus right. and his disciples all reference this as like this is um this is a warning, you know? Yeah. This wickedness, they were so wicked and evil, and this is a warning of God's wrath and what could happen. And I think I didn't write this down, so I might mess this up. Forgive me. But there was also a warning that this was going to happen to Babylon as well before Mm. Babylon was destroyed. Right. You know, you'll end up like Sodom and Gomorrah if you don't change your ways. And (laughs) Right. We know what happened to Babylon. (laughs) Yeah. Wasn't so good for them either. So, yeah. Um, So before we go into the chat and... Yuck it all up together. (laughs) 
I do want to say that, um, I just want to want to bring in the heaviness of this. So like, unlike Noah and the flood, God didn't promise that he would never do this again. And yeah, <laughs> there was no rainbow after this one. It's like, let that be a lesson to you. Right. And the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, like I said, it comes up in the Old Testament and the New Testament several times and is a warning to us for the end times. And beyond that, too, I just want to discuss, like, the gravity of it. So when you think about it, it's really easy to step back and read it as a story. And, you know, it, it is to an extent. But also, as I kick my desk, just keep in mind that or put yourself in that position for just a moment, like being in this city. I mean, men, women, children, all nobody, nobody was yeah. spared and you just have this, I don't know, you look up into the sky and you just know you're done because there's this fire, right. just fire coming down for you. I don't know. I just like to kind of remind us all to like, it's easy to read over this and yeah, that's crazy. But can you really like take a step into it and imagine it? I don't want to. <laughs> Well, and it's scary because Jesus says it will happen again. Like very explicitly, he says it will happen again. Yeah, it's a sign of the end times. It will happen right. again. And um, <clears throat> it's just, I don't know. I think it's good for us to remember the wrath of God and how his righteous yeah. anger is so scary. <laughs> well, in the verse you sent me, uh, it's Luke 17, 28 and 30. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Like, we serve an amazing God, but, you know, we messed up as humans. We messed <laughs> up big time. And as Christians, we know God wins out in the end. Yep. But I really feel for those people who haven't quite figured it out yet. Me too. Me too. Well, just keep loving them and keep showing That's them. That's right. <laughs> anyway, uh, ending that one on a high <laughs> note. happy note. You're welcome, you guys. <laughs> but no, thank you so much for joining us. Um, what do we have coming up this Saturday? We're or tomorrow. Oh, yes. Friday. So tomorrow we're not done streaming. No, we're just going to stream for 24 hours. No, no <laughs> breaks. Uh, no. So tomorrow, everybody at Hawkhound is getting together for our monthly dog pile. So everybody, Abby, PJ, Katie Zed, and the both of us will be there at seven o'clock tomorrow uh, to just chat with you guys, hang out, talk about some current events, maybe talk some weird science and ancient history. You never know. You never know what's going to happen. And this will be I'm my sorry. first one. So it will be nervous. your first dog pile. So, yeah. you know, we got to haze her a little bit, to get right. her in there. I mean, last time we were all in a stream together, everybody ate dog treats. So, I mean, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. who knows what will happen? Who knows? Tune in to find out. And then That's what right. are you bringing for us next Friday? So, next Friday, I'm about to bring out the big guns and we're going to talk quantum theory. Is the universe <laughs> locally real? So, I. I'm actually going to put that chemistry degree to good use and talk big quantum theory, quantum chemistry, quantum physics. I'm excited. 
It's going to be super duper nerdy. And I hope you guys are excited for it. Yay. I can't wait. Woohoo. So yeah. All right, guys. Well, enjoy your Friday night. We're going to go in the chat with our people in Rumble and Odyssey. We'll see you tomorrow. A uh, couple of quick things before we uh, <laughs> dive off. Don't forget to like and subscribe, guys. If you are over on Rumble and Odyssey, please like the show. Give us a subscribe. We're still growing. We're still trying to you know, do our best, get this show off the ground. Uh, I'm so excited uh, by all of the support we have gotten so far. Like We're only four episodes in, and we've had like thousands of views on our shows on Rumble. It's It's just blown my mind the response we have gotten. I just want to say I'm so grateful to everybody who's tuned in uh, to listen to us be ultra nerds. Yay. I literally have goosebumps. Like I am so um, honored by everybody's just support and coming and hanging out with us and watching. So thank you. Thank you everybody so much. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. And thank you audio listeners. Like we don't give you guys enough credit. You guys are amazing. So we want to do something very special for you. If you go over to Apple podcasts and you give us a five-star review and uh, just leave us a review, take a screenshot of that and send us an email at quirksofcreation at gmail.com. And we will send you a coupon code for our Hawkhound merch shop. Uh, we just got in our first Quirks of Creation t-shirt. So guys, whoop, whoop. you know, that is awesome. We want you to support the show and we love that you love our content. So thank you guys so, so much. Thank you. Y'all are amazing. So tune in next week for all the awesome stuff. And we'll be back for more for Rumble and Odyssey. Yay.